I'm Scott Aniel, and you're listening to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Do a Google image search for worship, and what do you find? The dominant picture, in fact, almost the exclusive picture in the search results, will be a picture of a crowd of people, hands raised, eyes closed, faces scrunched. That's the modern conception of what worship is. Intense physical expression, most associated with lifted hands, that has come to be the default expectation when people think of modern evangelical worship today. The question is, is that the biblical picture of worship? Is that even a historic picture of the nature of worship? I would suggest that it is not. I would suggest that that picture of what worship will look like if it is truly biblical and truly authentic does not actually come from Scripture and has not been the dominant expectation through the history of the church. Rather, that image, hands lifted, eyes closed, face scrunched, intense physical expression, that image is a result of the pervasive influence of a charismatic theology of worship. And that's what I'd like to address in this episode, particularly this issue of lifting hands. Now, a couple of introductory points. Number one, I do not believe it is wrong to lift hands in worship. That is not what I'm arguing. Neither am I judging the motives of those who do. I'm not arguing that if you lift your hands in worship, you are a charismatic. Don't hear me say that. Second, I am not arguing that our bodies are bad. No, our bodies are good. God has given us physical bodies. We reject the heresy of Gnosticism that says that the physical body is bad. God has given us our bodies. He wants us to use our bodies in worship. In fact, we cannot worship without our bodies. We must use our hands and our eyes and our ears and our tongues and our vocal cords and the entirety of our bodies. Worship is embodied worship. So as we discuss this issue of lifting hands, do not hear me arguing that lifting hands is bad and that our bodies are bad. So why then am I addressing this? Well, I'll come back to this at the end, but a couple points just to set the context. First, biblical clarity is important. It is overly simplistic to argue, for example, that since the Bible mentions lifting hands, and that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at in this episode, that's what's going on in contemporary worship. That's an overly simplistic argument. At minimum, this needs to be clarified. If you want to argue something from Scripture, then you need to understand what Scripture is actually suggesting. But number two, my primary concern here is that we have come in our day to define the nature of worship by intense physical expression, best exemplified through something like lifting hands. But defining worship by anything external is legalistic externalism. Inner spiritual realities cannot be measured by external evidences. And so this is a necessary correction, I believe, because again, a charismatic theology of worship has come to lead most of evangelicalism to define 
true worship by external, intense, physical expressivism. That is rampant in modern evangelicalism, and that is my primary concern. Lifting hands is not my primary concern. But this expectation or this common practice today of lifting hands is tied to this rampant individual expressivism that has come to dominate modern evangelicalism. So let's consider what the Bible says about this. What does the Bible say about lifting hands? Well, let's begin with the New Testament, not because the Old Testament is in some way inferior or less authoritative. We're going to spend most of our time in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is profitable and it is authoritative for us even today. However, as the New Testament church, our primary set of guidelines and instructions regarding what the church ought to be and what the church ought to do comes from the New Testament. So it ought to make sense to start there. In the New Testament, we find only one mention of lifting hands, and that is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, where Paul says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. That's the only mention of lifting hands in the New Testament. Notice the context here. It is the context of prayer. Paul is saying he wants men to pray with lifted holy hands. So that's significant first and foremost because the attention is to prayer. Now the content of prayer here and the association of lifting hands with prayer is not clear. Paul doesn't tell us why we should lift our hands, what the lifting hands is signifying. He doesn't tell us what we ought to be praying for when we lift holy hands. So all of that is left ambiguous in the 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 passage. We can say at minimum that it is not wrong to lift hands when we pray. But in order to get more clarity as to the content of the prayer or the purpose of the lifting of hands, we can't find that here in 1 Timothy. So perhaps looking to the Old Testament would help in this regard. There are a Relatively few number of mentions of lifting hands in the Old Testament, and so let's examine them to see what is the purpose of lifting hands and what is it most associated with in Scripture. Most of the examples of lifting hands are in the Psalms, and so we'll spend most of our time there. But there's one other example outside of the Psalms that I think is worth looking at, and that is Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 6 where we read, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So this is in the context of return from exile. Ezra and Nehemiah are leading the people to return to the law of the Lord. They are reading the word in the presence of the people, something that hadn't been done for a long time. And the people respond with lifting their hands and saying, Amen, Amen. And then they bow their heads with their faces to the ground. So they actually lay on the ground and worship the Lord. It's important to recognize here, and this will connect with what we see in the Psalms, that this was a time of mourning, a time of confession. They are repenting for their idolatry that led them into exile and their failure to follow the law of the Lord. They are returning back to the Lord in the context of Nehemiah chapter 8. 
As I said, most of the examples of lifting hands we find in the book of Psalms. And so let's look at them. First, Psalm 28, verse 2. We'll look at every example of lifting hands in the Psalms so that we don't miss any. Psalm 28, verse 2 says this, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. This is a lament psalm. He is crying for mercy from the Lord, and in so doing, he is lifting his hands in the direction of Jerusalem, in the direction of the temple. The rest of the psalm is David expressing his desperate need for the Lord. That is what is being expressed through the lifting of his hands. Next, Psalm 63 and verse 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. What is this psalm? Psalm 63 in its entirety is another individual lament of David. It is crying out to the Lord, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And in that context, he says in verse 4, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up your hands. And so here we have, again, this idea of reaching out to the Lord in desperation, like being thirsty. That's a dominant theme in this psalm. I need the Lord. I need his mercy. I am lacking. I am anxious. I am calling out to the Lord. There are those who are seeking to destroy my life, David says, and so I am reaching out to the Lord for help. It's like a child who is reaching out to a parent because he needs help. That's the context here of lifting hands. Next, Psalm 88 verse 9 says, My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Again, the idea here is calling out to the Lord in desperation. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. This is a lament. This is an expression. The spreading out my hands to you is an expression of need, of desperation, of lament, of desiring for help from the Lord. So, so far what we've seen is that lifting hands in the Psalms and even in Nehemiah are an expression of lament, of repentance, of need for the Lord, of crying out for mercy, of crying out in desperation. The next example we find is Psalm 134. This is just a three-verse psalm, so I'll read the whole thing. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So here again, we find this connection of lifting hands with blessing the Lord. There doesn't seem to be a focus on lament or confession here in this psalm. And it's important to understand what blessing the Lord is. What is blessing the Lord? Blessing the Lord, as we see throughout the psalms, is an expression of thanks for the blessings that the Lord has given to us. So lifting hands to the holy place toward where the presence of God dwells in the tabernacle or temple is meant to signify an expression of thanks for what the Lord has done for us. The next example is Psalm 141. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you. 
Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So here again, the dominant theme of this psalm is lament of crying out to the Lord for help. He is needy. He is fearful of death. He is fearful of his enemies. And so he is praying and he is lifting up his hands as a way to express his desperate need for the Lord. And then the final example of lifting hands in the Psalms is in Psalm 143, which begins, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. And then later down in verse 6, he says, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. So again, this entire psalm is a lament. It is crying out to the Lord for help. David is lifting his hands to express his desperate need for the Lord. So those are all the examples of lifting hands in the Psalms. Hardly a dominant theme, but it is present. And so what can we learn from this? So again, only one example in the New Testament. Paul desires for men to pray with lifting of hands, but it doesn't tell us what the content of the prayer is or what the lifting of hands signifies. When we look in the Old Testament, what we find in Nehemiah is that in the context of corporate lament and confession of sin, the people expressed their agreement with their need to repent by saying amen, amen, and lifting their hands. The overwhelming dominant context in the book of Psalms for lifting of hands is in Psalms of lament, Psalms of repentance, an expression of crying out to the Lord for help. The one possible exception, which is a bit ambiguous, is Psalm 134, where we don't have clear indication of what the dominant expression is. Simply bless the Lord, thank the Lord for his blessings to us. So what can we learn from this? Well, a couple of things. Number one, the dominant reason people lifted their hands in the scriptures, I won't say exclusive, but the dominant reason was in prayer and prayers of lament and confession. In other words, if we're going to say that our lifting of hands in worship today is simply doing what they did in the Bible, then at minimum, we ought to be doing it during prayers of lament or confession. Now, singing can be prayer. So I'm not saying we ought to lift hands during prayer and don't lift hands during singing. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is that we can't say that lifting our hands at this high emotional place in the middle of a song of praise is just doing what the Bible says to do. The lifting of hands in Scripture is an expression of need, of desperation for the Lord in the context of lament and confession. Again, it's sort of like a child who needs their parent, and so they lift their hands. And this leads to an important point that I'm trying to make in this discussion. Why don't we see lifting of hands in other places of the service? Why don't we see the lifting of hands during prayers of confession? Why don't we see lifting of hands during the reading of Scripture? Why don't people lift their hands during the preaching? Why don't people lift their hands during those other portions of the service? Now, again, some might. You might see examples of that. But what is the dominant picture of lifting hands in contemporary worship today? You can predict it. You can sit in the back of an auditorium of people who are worshiping, and you can predict when the hands are raised. They're going to be raised predominantly, again, not exclusively, I know there are exceptions, 
but the majority of the lifting of hands is going to happen when the music reaches this high emotional pitch. There's an intense crescendo, the intensity of the music is increasing, and there the hands go up. It has often struck me that I can be in a service and you don't see the hands going up during Holy, Holy, Holy. You don't see the hands going up during Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing or Come Christians Join to Sing or Be Thou My Vision or any traditional hymn. The hands typically go up with highly emotional music. And again, I'm not judging the motives of people who do so. I think there are a lot of people who are just caught up in sort of manipulative emotionalism. But I know that a lot of People are thinking about what they are singing, they are deeply moved by the truths of what they sing, and they lift their hands as an expression of the fact that they are deeply moved by the truths of the song. I know that's true, but here's, here's the important point. That expectation that if I am deeply moved by the truths of what I am singing, I'm going to lift my hands, that's a modern expectation. That doesn't come directly from Scripture. And that's not how Christians have thought for most of church history. I'm not arguing it's evil or wrong, but it is a modern expectation. It would not have occurred to somebody prior to the early 20th century that if they were moved by the scriptures or by biblical truth, that they should lift their hands as an expression of that. And again, I often wonder if that is truly what is happening, why don't people lift their hands during the reading of scripture. Are people not being moved as they consider the word? Then why don't they lift their hands? And this is where I want to point out where this comes from. Where does the modern expectation that if I am deeply moved, therefore I am going to lift my hands, where does that come from? Well, it comes from a Pentecostal charismatic theology of worship what is often described by historians of contemporary worship as sacramental worship. The goal of sacramental worship or Pentecostal worship is to experience the felt presence of God. Now, of course, in explicit charismatic forms of this theology, this includes speaking in tongues, miraculous experiences, maybe in some extreme forms, glory dust, being slain in the spirit, etc. But even with more moderate charismatics or with people who are not charismatic but who have been what I describe as Pentecostalized, there is an expectation that in a worship service, the Holy Spirit of God will manifest himself in some observable, tangible way. We expect that if we are truly worshiping, if the Holy Spirit is truly present, then we're going to feel something emotionally intense and we're going to express ourselves in an emotionally intense way. That comes from a Pentecostal theology of worship, such that even those who have rejected Pentecostalism, there are many people who have come out of the Pentecostal movement, they reject the continuation of the sign gifts, they reject those extreme forms of charismatic theology, but nevertheless, what we haven't rejected, or what in many cases we haven't even recognized, is that our expectations about the nature of worship and what worship ought to look like has been influenced by a Pentecostal theology of worship. This has been documented most recently and excellently by Lester Ruth and Sui Hong Lim. I highly recommend two of their books. 
One, Lebanon Jesus, A Concise History of Contemporary Worship. And then more recently, they wrote A History of Contemporary Praise and Worship, Understanding the Ideas that Reshaped the Protestant Church. And what they show in these books is that these modern expressions, these modern expectations, and this idea that if you Google search worship, what you see is a bunch of people with eyes closed, faces scrunched, and hands lifted— That is new. That has come from a Pentecostal theology of worship. They point out that contemporary worship has been influenced by Pentecostalism in its mainstreaming the desire to be physical and expressive in worship. And and Ruth and Lim are not critics of the movement. They're simply documenting the history of the movement and what has influenced it. And they show how prior to the early 20th century, this idea that if we are truly worshiping, we're going to be physically expressive in an intense way with hands lifted and all of this was not the expectation prior to the influence of Pentecostalism. They argue and show and document how the Pentecostal movement has influenced this idea of intensity as a liturgical virtue that true worship will be physically intense and will be manifested through some sort of physical expressiveness. Again, I'm not arguing physical expressiveness is wrong, but it is no sign of true worship, but that has come to be the expectation. If we are truly worshiping, then there will be hands in the air. And this is my concern. This is why I'm raising this. When I write about this topic or tweet about this issue, I always get private messages of people thanking me because they say, I have been pressured to lift my hands. I have been pressured that if I don't have some sort of external, physical, intense, emotional experience that I'm not truly worshiping, thank you for freeing me from that legalism. And that's exactly what it is. Ironically, this is a sort of legalistic externalism, even if it's not explicitly said. If you are just standing in a worship service, not moving your body, not lifting your hands, but you're engaged, you're singing, you're listening, people look at you and they assume, oh, that person is not truly worshiping. That person is not truly engaged. I've even heard popular worship speakers say that if they look out into the congregation and they don't see hands raised, they don't see people physically engaged, then something's wrong and they need to do something in order to impact people in order to get them engaged. Folks, that is legalism. That is externalism. We cannot define spiritual experience by anything external. So again, I'm not against lifting hands. But, number one, if we're going to say it's biblical, it ought to be done during prayers of lament and confession. And number two, then let's do it corporately. One of the big problems with the way lifting of hands is done today is that it is an individual expressivism. And it's distracting. You're singing a rich hymn with theological lyrics, and all of a sudden this person over across the aisle lifts his hands. What happens? Every eye turns to that person. That person is having an individual expressive experience, and that's not what corporate worship is about. Corporate worship is supposed to be corporate. I have been in churches and participated in worship where every week they sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, 
and everyone in the congregation lifts their hands together. I think that's wonderful. It is a corporate expression. And it's not simply lifting hands in response to a high emotional experience engineered by manipulative music. We are all lifting our hands together in a corporate way. We are doing that with our minds. We are doing that intentionally. We're doing it corporately. And it's not just an individual emotional experience. I would love to see the lifting of hands again corporately during prayers of confession, because again, I think that's what the biblical model is. Dominantly, the biblical model of lifting hands is during prayers of lament and confession. So let's do that. Again, our bodies are good and we ought to use our bodies in worship. What I am cautioning against is a sacramental theology of worship in which we assume usually not explicitly, but certainly implicitly, that if we are truly worshiping, there will be some sort of intense emotional experience. And so when the music is intense, when the emotion is strong, that's when the hands go up. That is a dangerous theology. We worship by faith and not by sight. We worship by faith and not by feelings. We ought to draw near to God through Christ, with a true, sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And if we do that, then we know that we are in the presence of God. We're actually joining in with the worship of heaven. But we don't see that. We don't feel that. We simply accept that by faith. If we come to God through Christ with a sincere heart in true assurance of faith, that is the defining essence of what worship is. And if we ever define worship by some sort of physical expressiveness, then that is a dangerous legalistic externalism. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting services. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at g3min.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Christianity.